Well, I'm all watered up now that you did that. <laughs> So it's probably worth having a short discussion about the point of the show, kind of talking about what our what the mission is here. Yeah. The mission statement reads as examining new trends in media and asking content creators how and why they seek success. I'd like to do that through interviews and roundtable discussions and incorporating feedback to the show. And just sort of, I've, I've always had an, an inquisitive mind. Don't think I quite understand what's going on in front of us right now. We've seen a democratization of new media and and the ability for a single person to make their voice be heard in a way they've not ever had an opportunity to do so before. This is bigger than the printing press. This is this is the ability to reach not just people in your region, but people all over the world. And people are doing it every day. They're able to make livings doing this and make lots and lots and lots of money doing it. My mission is to sort of just analyze what's going on and have the opportunity to talk to very interesting people, understand what makes them tick. Why are they doing it? How are they doing it? Uh, it's not meant to be a how-to, not really meant to be a tutorial, uh, more of just a discussion and sort of understanding and bringing along some friends who are also interested in it, might have an interesting perspective to bring to the discussion. Absolutely. Facebook has been under siege lately, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, a lot of political kerfuffle in the news. Uh-huh. Everyone's wanting to bail out of Facebook. Elon being on Twitter, predominantly. Mm -hmm. Someone messaged him and said, hey, um, you know, you've got these presence, this presence on Facebook. Uh, why don't you delete them? Elon basically responded, I didn't even know we had a Facebook page. I'm on it. And shortly thereafter, they were deleted. And the response came back from Elon saying, essentially, well, they were ugly anyway. We didn't need them. Mm. I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit of a non-news item. Yeah. Interesting. It is interesting. A major technology company bailing on Facebook pretty publicly. Yeah, yes, certainly. I don't know that it's a bellwether. I think probably you won't see anybody else follow suit. Not many other people have a CEO or owner that's on Twitter that's able to be double dog dared into deleting their Facebook. <laughs> right, right. The problem with me this week is like I've been just completely isolated. So a lot, I mean, a lot of this stuff I'm just hearing for the first time. I don't enjoy listening to much mainstream media. It's like a very opinionated, very, you know, biased view of whatever is happening. And it's not, I'm not interested in that. I want a reasonable person to tell me what's happening, right? That's why I ask friends. I don't ask everyone. I'll ask you because I know that I'm going to get a fair shake whenever I ask you, right? Like you're going to say, hey, this is what happened. Like you deal in fact first and then opinion second, right? Yeah. But yeah, like when you get, when you get something from <clears throat> NBC, CBS, CNN, I just hate it, man. I, I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of people feeling like you can persuade me to believe a certain way because you basically you're the loudest voice in the room. I just want to, I want to experience things that are happening. I want to hear what's up. And then I want to be able to decide for myself. I'll be told how to decide. Again, it's insulting to me that you just, that you think that you can convince me 
to just change my mind. The thing is, if your like agenda, if your objective is not to like then convince me to change my mind, then what is it? I don't know, man. Like I, I just I want to be able to make those decisions for myself, and it just pisses me off that you feel like you can manipulate me. You know, it's almost like fan service, right? You're giving fan service to the people who believe the same way you do. How do you how do you compare and contrast that with sort of new media? Then is it better or worse, or is it is it sort of it's in your face with it, so you kind of already know going into it? Yes and no. Obviously, I think the the pro side to it is that you're going to be able to consume media in a way that is more to your preference, more to your liking, and you're going to hear it from someone that you probably identify with more. And that's maybe not always true, but in general, I think the idea behind new media is that you find a personality you like and you attach to that, right? Whereas traditional media has been, this person is qualified, this person has the credentials, they've been through the, the rigor, and now this is the person that we're telling you is the person worth listening to because of their, their prestige, whatever it is. That's that's who you're being told to listen to. Whereas current form media, you can, you know, YouTube, whatever, podcast, you can pick people that you like, pick people that you feel like identify with who you are as a person. You're not always going to agree with them. You don't have to. You like the way that they think. You like the way that they talk, you, their voice, their, you know, um, whatever their mojo is, whatever that you connect with, you can consume media that way. And I think that's pretty cool. That's the pro side. The con side, I think, is that these aren't people that have, you know, millions of dollars of assets at their fingertips where they can just say like, okay, we need this piece or we need someone to do research or we have a ballistics expert. You're, you're having to basically be that for yourself. You're having to be someone who is well thought on, or, you know, well studied on a particular subject. And for one person to be able to do that by themselves, they don't have a team, it's pretty tough. I think that's the negative side of it. But then again, I mean, in my opinion, many of the places that do have those kind of assets use those assets to to spend, right? To like give their bias. And so whoever it might be, right? Like whoever whoever you're listening to to get your your news, get your updates, they don't necessarily have that. I'm I'm gonna take the other the other side on this. I think that new media inherently, because you're one voice among many, sort of inherently uh, going to stray towards muckraking. And that sensationalism, what we kind of now dub clickbait, that's a big part of, of new media today. And that trying to stand out and trying to be first to media is a big problem. And sensationalism and, and having really sometimes just misleading article titles or headlines can put that publication in a spot where it looks even more uh, biased for, for what's going on, whatever their slant is. I think it takes them so far in that direction when they do have it. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see where you're coming from with that. Let's see how that's so different from the way we currently consume media or the way we've, we've traditionally consumed media. I mean, think about election cycles. How many times have we awarded somebody the presidency before it was over, right? How many times have we, oh, there's no way, oh, you know, they're always pushing it. And sometimes they have to rescind those because they're wrong. They're just wrong. They tried to get that information out before someone else and they have to rescind it because it's not correct. So, you know, to say that like, that's a, that's a thing that only faces that, that only new media has a problem with. I just I disagree. I think that um, it definitely does happen. And, you know, you're going to have people that, that cheat and bend, uh, bend the rules to try to get ahead. But the thing is, is that that's the beauty of it. It's like, you know, 
some of these some of the like you you obviously have big groups big companies that are you know using new media as a as a means of communication but you also have you know just your average joe who's doing that as well and so there's some level of like figuring out figuring out the credibility of a person that you're listening to whether or not this person's qualified to make the statements and judgments that they're making and and you can decide that that's the thing like you don't you 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 get to have all the power in that one versus when you watch the news there's this big beast and it's almost like when they put something in front of you you just expect it to be true um and that's what they rely on they rely on you believing them because they've been around a long time and they're massive and they got tons of assets whatever you know that's kind of expected whereas like a guy who's doing a broadcast from his bedroom right like i mean he's sitting there telling you his take on the news you can judge him at face value because he's who is this guy right like he's he's giving you the news from his bed you can see his bed behind him like you can actually at that point just determine what you think is true and what you think is not true right um so i think that's that's an interesting for at least for me i appreciate that now you're going to get all kinds of nut jobs too, right? Because just because we've made it so available, right? Like you're going to get the guy who's wearing his tinfoil hat going, they're out to get us, right? And maybe they are out to get us. I don't know. Maybe he's the one who's woke and everyone else is asleep. But I, that's the thing. You get to judge that. You get to be the one to judge that. And if you like to consume media in a way that, you know, tells you everyone's out to get you, then that's how you can get it. You know, you can get your daily dose of crazy. If you want somebody who's just going to give you the facts, I mean, I think you can pretty clearly listen to somebody and tell if they're adding spin to it, if they're adding their bias, or if you're just getting the information that you want. Well, I think it's pretty clear at this point that traditional media is not doing that. They, they pick a side and they stick to it. That's not the way I like to consume media. There are definitely characters that I would never watch in a million years. And that's what's great. We get to decide that. We don't, we're not having someone tell us this is the only person who has it right. Interesting. If you're going to sort of line line up mainstream and, and kind of give them all uh, a generalization, uh, you know, there's four, maybe five outlets on television and then a few more in print. Is it just a matter of choice? Is it that um, you're not stuck with one of three or four viewpoints, but you choose from a spectrum? Is that what's appealing? Yeah, I think that you can kind of have people that you mostly identify with. I feel like when I watch any kind of mainstream news source, like we'll, we'll talk about TV news. When I watch any kind of TV news, I don't feel like there is a TV news station that really matches how I feel about politics, culture, modern events. I, I don't feel like anyone really identifies with me on that. Whereas when I watch, not, not to say that I watch tons of uh, news through, through new media by any means, but yeah, when I watch those sources, yeah, I can kind of find people who you feel like generally you could sit down and have a beer with. That's kind of cool, man. Like, you, you know, you're listening to people that you would actually really appreciate sitting down with and just talking with. Whereas you watch mainstream news, people seem real stuffy. They don't seem like the kind of people that would talk with me, you know, like that would have just a really interesting conversation that would listen, that would share that wouldn't just push agenda the whole time. Like, I mean, that's, that's what I think is nice about new media is that you find people and many times they're accessible. There's like this really no, It's kind of a diagram that's floating around out there that shows where different media outlets rank on a scale of uh, conservative to liberal and then trustworthy and untrustworthy. I'm sure you've seen it. It was pretty popular for a while, but yeah, it was sort of interesting to see where they placed everyone and, 
I didn't necessarily agree with all of the placements of people. There's not many people who were truly, truly in the middle. And so you had someone who has picked a side, make rankings of these news outlets. But I did think it was interesting how they, how they place people. I think when people think of new media news outlets, I think most people would think of something like the Young Turks or Huffington Post before they got bought out um, or Infowars or Stone Cold Truth. Do you have an example of something that you find a little bit more appealing that's a little bit more middle of the road that doesn't uh, seem to skew so hard one side or the other? This is really funny. Again, I don't, I don't consume tons of, of new media, like news updates and stuff like that. Not that he's trying to be necessarily a source of news, but he is talking about modern events. That's Philip DeFranco. Like, I really, really enjoy watching his show. I feel like I have an idea of where he stands, so I know what to expect. I feel like I know what his potential biases might be. He seems to be pretty fair with his, his criticism, his assessment of what's right and wrong, what's his ability to call things what they are. Again, he's really good about, I feel like, sharing the facts first and then giving opinion, giving his thoughts on it. Man, I just wish that more people would do that, honestly. So for me, I mean, I, I think Philip DeFranco is doing a pretty cool job. I mean, you've got Joe Rogan who might fall maybe on the other side and be somebody who's, he's he's got his own agenda. He's got his own line of reasoning, but he tends to sort of fall, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are drawn to him for that same reason, right? Like sort of facts first, opinion later. Uh, Dan Carlin is somebody who sort of, uh, although he has resigned doing any sort of current events uh, because he feels like it's just impossible to do anymore. You can't actually have discourse anymore. Dan Carlin was somebody who was doing a very popular podcast that, that tried to touch on political current events that was just facts and no narrative and I'll let, I'll let you decide, or at least you get the, the Dan Carlin view of it, uh, and you know what filter he's, he's bringing to the story. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that. Like, I, I appreciate when people keep it, you know, to just the information that you need. And, and again, I don't mind people sharing their opinion. That's, I don't want to make, make it out to be like, I don't want to hear what, what people have to say. It's when that opinion crosses over into, I feel like I'm being preached to. You can't let emotion drive the narrative. You know, you can't let that happen. You, you have to be reasonable. This one might have glazed over as well, but things related to the Internet, you start to find new lines being drawn. Sometimes it's a little bit more of an age or generational line, seems like. Um, people who are a little bit more tech savvy compared to people who aren't, where the, where the line gets drawn doesn't seem to, to be drawn down the same normal partisan lines. Congress recently passed, President recently signed a spending bill. I've heard it called an omnibus bill. I had to look that up. I was not familiar. Omnibus bill is basically a very large, covers many different areas and scopes. One of the very controversial pieces in the legislation, something called the Cloud Act, C-L-O-U-D Act, it seems to open up tech companies to some very interesting new liabilities. Because of this, Reddit has dropped uh, some personals ads um, some gun-related materials off their site. YouTube has dropped a lot of gun-related materials off their site. Quoting the EFF here, uh, Cloud Act is a far-reaching, privacy-upending piece of legislation that will do the following. Enable foreign police to collect and wiretap people's communications from U.S. companies without obtaining a U.S. warrant. Allow foreign nations to demand personal data stored in the United States without prior review by a judge. 
allow the United States president to enter executive agreements that empower police in foreign nations that have weaker privacy laws in the United States to seize data in the United States while ignoring U.S. privacy laws, allow foreign police to collect someone's data without notifying them about it, and empower U.S. police to grab any data regardless of its U.S. persons or not, no matter where it is stored. Wow. Yeah, pretty wide-reaching. But again, these these lines have sort of been redrawn um, when we've seen sort of internet-based uh, legislation come through. Net neutrality would be the big one. And we start to see different people start to pipe up when that happens. Seems to be that actually some of the big tech companies might have been for this act. Had you heard of it? I have not heard of that. And that's that's actually really scary. I don't know why we're giving away power to foreign governments to do things here without warrant. That's uh, unreal. I, and, and my question is, what do we get in return? Like, if we're going to give away that kind of power to a foreign government, you know, what, what are we getting? I, really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We should never give away that kind of power. But I'm just saying, like, you know, do we owe somebody a favor or something here? Like, what, what, what's, why would we ever put something like that in place? It's kind of what I'm trying to figure out. And <clears throat> i got to be honest with you, I, I, I just can't put that together. Quoting the Electronic Frontier Foundation again in a tweet from March 22, because of failures by some lawmakers to review and mark up legislation in a responsible manner, the dangerous cross-border data bill, the Cloud Act, was just approved by the House of Representatives in a 256 to 167 vote for a massive omnibus spending bill. So it seems like they're blaming uh, what what is, let me scroll up here, a 2,200-page omnibus bill. Mm-hmm. Um, this was something that was covering $1.3 trillion in spending and was only going to get us to September. Wow. This was to keep another congressional showdown from happening where lawmakers basically take us to the brink and see who gives. So they passed this bill instead uh, as a measure to you know keep from bringing everyone to the brink again. Uh, and this is some of the pork barrel that's stuffed inside. Unreal, man. We're using this as a means to hijack Congress and pass laws that would never pass under any kind of reasonable circumstance. Like that's that's scary. And this is another another reason why we should pass a damn budget. It seems wild to me that this is the issue that we're having here. It's like, oh, we we can't really get a budget through. Better throw in some pork barrel spending here. Let's let's throw some fat on this deal and see just how it goes over. I would never want my legislators to pass laws like that. And and again, I, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my head around like what the implications of that are. You know, what what limit does it have? Because if we're saying that we're going to allow foreign countries to seize, take any kind of data they want without warrant, um, does that include Russia as well? To quote Microsoft President Brad Smith from another March 22 tweet, Today is an important day for privacy rights around the world, for international relations, and for building trust in the technology we all rely on every day. He said, in another quote, The move was a critical step forward for clarifying the law. The proposed Cloud Act creates a modern legal framework for how law enforcement agencies can access data across borders. To, to give you an example of how the EFF is trying to exemplify how it might work in practice, Investigators in London um, might want private Slack messages of a Londoner they think uh, might be a suspect of bank fraud. The London police could go directly to Slack, a U.S. company, and request and collect those messages. The London police would not necessarily need prior judicial review. They would not be required to notify U.S. law enforcement, and they would not need probable cause for this collection. 
Okay, so then what happens if Slack says no? They're not allowed. I mean, the the answer to your question would be that this this cloud act would then go to judicial review and we'd find out if it's constitutional. Which uh, the answer that's got to be no, right? I mean, I, I just don't know. I don't know how that would ever hold up. Finishing up on the EFF article here, this bill has large privacy implications in both the United States and abroad. It was never given the attention it deserved in Congress. Representative McGovern said the people deserve the right to a better process. Yeah, I mean, I agree. That's <laughs> that's just it's bizarre that this is something that we're just gonna like that. Why? Why? Why has our politics come to this? That like, I mean, do they really think that the average American is just so stupid that? We don't even need to think about this. We just need to do it. Like that, that is such a terrible way of approaching governing. Maybe they've been talking about this for a while, but this is a big change. This is a big change. You need to get this out in front of the American people. Look, they're probably going to disagree with you. That, you need to be okay with that. Who is this good for? We could have foreign governments say that our politicians are committing crimes. And then, and then what? Like they can go without warrant go dig up information on our politicians. That doesn't seem very good. That could be used for spy purposes. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, what's the due process for that? They could just start pulling up data on people. Like if they want to spy on American citizens, they can just say like, well, they committed crimes in London. They don't have to substantiate any of that. They don't have to get an approval for one of our judges. They just can go forward and get the information. Now they can spy on you effectively without anything stopping them like that's scary man you know who who do we extend this to is this select countries you know can north korea do this because they're also a country do we just let north korea come in and take whatever they want do we let china do we let russia <laughs> do we let iran i mean i don't i don't know i just, maybe these are people who are in the United Nations. I don't know what stipulations there are. The harshest criticism focuses on new powers granted to the Attorney General who can enter into agreements with foreign countries unilaterally. Those agreements could potentially circumvent the protections of U.S. courts. The act also wouldn't require users or local governments to be notified when a data request is made, making meaningful meaningful oversight significantly harder. I think the only way that a bill like this gets passed is when it's not put in front of the American people, when it's attached to a giant spending bill that is too large to have been read before it was voted on. I think this will go to court. I don't know soon, but I think it'll go to court and it'll be challenged. Let's hope. I mean, let's, let's hope. I mean, I, I know that I'm going to be talking about it now. because <laughs> that's, that's actually really upsetting that that one just slipped under the radar. Yeah, I mean, as an American citizen, I, I hold my politicians to a much higher standard than that. Anyone who just let that one fly under, I'm not okay with. I'll be voting people out for that. But they, they basically just handed away my rights. I have nothing to say about that. You know, like I, I get no say in the process. I don't even get to know if it happened. Like my information could be compromised and we're wielding this power to the attorney general. Like that's bizarre. Why are we giving powers to people like that? That's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Well, we got to get to the bottom of this. And we ask my politicians why they let that happen. I'm certainly not going to be okay knowing that that's the case. Absolutely. As part of our inaugural episode, I've been able to interview an aspiring comedian. Cody Wynn has made a name doing live comedy on stage, but also utilizing social media to do original content. So join our conversation with Cody after the break.
My guest is Cody Wynn. Cody pursues comedy both on social media and live on stage. Her debut into comedy was 45 minutes live on stage for the first time uh, in her hometown for a friend and fellow comedian. Cody leverages social media, uh, live streaming events, recorded videos, and a growing community of fans nationwide to bootstrap her bookings for the stage. So is it is it comedian or comedian? You know, I've I've never really understood the difference. I mean, I... I guess I do. I've never had an issue with being addressed as comedian AN. I've never required the uh the the female tag there. And that's probably because of the um the nature of my content <laughs> and material. Fairly fairly adult, fairly uh sexually liberated. It is. Yeah. Most of my shows are 18 and up. Uh, most of my fans are 21 and up. And there should never be anyone under the age of 18 within earshot of any of my shows. Okay. So tell us about that first comedy set where you did 45 minutes on stage. Mm. First first time ever out of the gate. Okay. Uh, so I had been um, a writer for about 10 years, writing comedy for uh, various platforms and magazines, guest blog spots. And then, of course, a friend of mine said, hey, I've got this this local show, hometown show, at um, a theater that we were trying to revive in downtown, in our hometown. He said, have you ever thought about doing stand-up? I have a history in theater, um, stage acting, but I was like, no, like absolutely not. I could never do that. And he said, I, I think you can. I feel like I kind of have an eye for these things and um, why not try it? So, you know, it was just kind of a bucket list thing. Let's get up, try to do some stand up. If it goes well, great. And if it doesn't, scratch it off the bucket list, move on with, with my life. And did it go well? I've, I've been told it went very well. <laughs> it went, it went well for me. Yes. I was, uh, yeah, felt incredible. I felt very at home. I felt like from that point on, I was going to move from just writing for other performers to writing and performing my own comedy. You've said pretty, pretty recently, um, Roseanne's just come back on. You've said that Roseanne is somebody who has personally inspired you, but who are, who are some idols that, that do what you do specifically? Roseanne and Brett Butler, around the same time, um, the actress Brett Butler. Um, I used to sneak out of my bedroom in the middle of the night at ages 10 and 11, um, at the age when I was first really exposed to adult comedy. And um, my parents would be asleep. I would sneak into the living room. I would watch HBO specials, um, late night stand up, and those two really stick out for me. But um, I don't specifically idolize female comedians. Um, George Carlin was a huge influence for me. I actually got to see George Carlin live when I was eighteen. It completely changed my life because he is um, very scripted. And I prefer <laughs> to be very scripted um, and meticulous with what I write. Um, I talk fast. I talk loud. He was the same way. Um, a lot of other comics 
can't get up and do a lot of physical comedy. I'm, I'm, I'm not super physical. I don't use props. Um, he talks about his real life, you know? So I really, I, I admired him a lot. He, he made me want to be a comedian. I feel like he brought out a lot of, uh, those natural attributes in me, but, um, Richard Pryor was, um, was a favorite for the majority of my life. Um, most recently I absolutely love Ali Wong. I find myself writing in her style a lot more since I've seen her in a, I, I'm not a fan of a lot of female comics. I feel like I gravitate toward male comics more but uh, she is one recently that I, I really, really dig. Are there, is there anyone <clears throat> sort of doing something similar to what you're doing? Using social media and, and bootstrapping from, from, you know, having no sort of uh, commercial backing? For sure. Um, as far as social media, gosh, that's something that in the past couple of years, uh, yeah, I've really, I, I really dig Chelsea Lynn. She's uh <laughs> which is a uh, trailer trash Tammy for those of you who, <laughs> who don't know her, uh, her real name, her stage name. But um, yeah, her characters are very well developed. She, um, she started just doing these videos in Oklahoma that were just, they were shot in trailers and she was just wearing these like basketball shorts and these Reba McIntyre cutoff shirts. And I was like, immediately just like, that I can harness that. Like, these are the people I grew up with. This is how I grew up. Um, that could be my aunt or my neighbor or my, my babysitter, you know, I, I love her. Um, there are a couple other, um, there's one, her name is Amanda Lee on social media. Um, her memes, her original memes are, absolutely unparalleled. She is brilliant and phenomenal and she's doing exactly what I'm trying to do. She's trying to be relatable. She's um, trying to make it a little more okay, a little more acceptable to be sexually liberated. Was comedy the first time that you were on stage? No. Um, I have from a very young age, was um, encouraged by my parents to, <laughs> God, do something, anything, anything to express myself. Um, I've always been loud. I have a, <laughs> a voice that carries, not just after a few drinks, but like from the time I was expelled from my mother's womb. Um, and so my parents encouraged me to, uh, to pursue theater and it was an interest of mine from, I guess, probably age four or five. I did, um, children's community theater. I grew up in a family of musicians and performers. And once I started singing, then I began doing musical theater and I did that, I guess, probably into my mid twenties. So how long have you been doing comedy? Stand up, uh, we're coming up on, it's about three years. How much time per day or per week or per unit would you say that you put into it? If, if you took into account things like riding, shooting, et cetera? It, it comes and goes. I mean, it's just like any other, 
performer, any other artist, your it's your creative outlet. It it it's therapeutic for me. It happens when it happens. It happens when I'm inspired. I'm inspired by my everyday life. That is the nature of my content. Um, my material comes from my kids, being a parent, um, my friends, my um, recently single for the first time in almost a decade and dating for the first time at 37 and uh, getting on, you know, these online dating apps and just trying to be part of this, God, this hookup culture, you know, that exists today that I've never really been a part of. And um, it all, it all, it comes from that. So, you know, just like anybody else, I get busy. I have a day job. I get busy. Um, sometimes I creatively just kind of shut down. But for the most part, I I write every day. I'm inspired in some way every day to write something. So you said you have a day job. What do you what are you trying to accomplish with comedy? What are your long term goals? Would you like to do it full time? Absolutely. It's my dream. Just like anybody, nobody wants their art to be a side job. Nobody wants their art to be put on the back burner or be something they're just doing um, as a side project. I don't want it to be a project. I I feel very fulfilled doing it. I feel like it's it's the path that I'm probably supposed to take in life. What are some obstacles that stand in your way to to do to be able to do that full time, to be able to reach your goals? Oh, you know, kids. Um <laughs> I homeschool my kids. I'm a crunchy mom. I mean, it's, you know, between doing that and, and, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm slowly building an audience. I, I don't have that. I don't have that hit video yet. You know, I have, I haven't had that, that viral post yet. You know what I mean? And, um, and so I've kind of had to fill and die my way into the audience that I have today. Do artists have to break out? Do comedians have to break out or, or are you able to build your way into it? Both. Does something have to give way? No, you can do both. Um, it's just, you know, one takes a little more work. It's a little harder. It takes a little more dedication. What do you think is involved in going viral? Is it is it putting the right variables in a formula? Is it doing something Sometimes. that's completely brand new that no one's ever seen? Sometimes. Most of the time, I think. Originality. Everybody's always waiting on something new because everything's been done. It's all been done online. Okay, we've seen the same memes and um, they've circulated and just been recycled over and over and over again. And so when somebody comes out with something new, I eat that up. It, it makes me so happy. I can't even describe what it makes me feel like as a performer and as an artist. So, you know, it goes both ways, though. I mean, you, you can slowly build an audience. I feel like there have been a couple guys, you know, online. I feel like Emery King slowly built an audience at first until he had that big hit video. I watched him for, you know, two or three years just kind of slowly uh, gather followers. Are all the things that you're doing uh, original? 90% original content, yes. My stand-up is um, completely original. Of course, I write all of that. But um, online, yeah, every once in a while I'll share um, a, fu a funny meme and have to credit somebody else who I think is doing something great. It's, um, it's pretty rare 
honestly, because like I said, I'm, I'm constantly immersed in it. I'm constantly involved. I'm keeping an eye on what everybody else is doing. You have to. It's very competitive. When I see something that makes me laugh out loud, just it, it inherently just I'm humored by it. I, I, I'll share it and definitely credit that person. Mainly doing things that are original, but still sharing certain yes. works. When you're sharing things, is it is it always from people that you're sort of networking with? Most of the time. I try to support other performers and writers, um, other creators of original content. My content is something I'm really proud of. And so when they can do the same thing, I'm I'm trying to share from from people I'm following. On YouTube, there's a concept called sub for sub. Yeah. It's sort of an issue because you can you can end up living in an echo chamber yeah. of content creators just liking other content creators and going back and forth. And they might have a hundred or a thousand subs, but only maybe double digit or maybe triple digit views. Right. Is there does there exist such a culture with comedy and Facebook and things like that? Absolutely. Um, there are, you know, <clears throat> I don't know, people who run what they call comedy pages who are who never share original content they only share from some of their favorite creators or their favorite account holders and um in doing that you know i'm i'm seeing the same stuff all the time in my feed because we all you know we all follow each other so they will one person will share something and then Another person who follows that person will see, and then I'm seeing the same video 10 or 15 or 20 times in my feed in one day. Those are the videos I'm probably not going to share. How many, how many shows have you done now? I don't know. Um, oh gosh. If you had asked me that, um. Let's say a handful. 10. Okay. Booking those and having had sort of a following already. Do you think that you could have done that before if you had decided, um, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to be a comedian and I'm going to go shop myself around to some people and see if I can get on stage? Could you have done that before social media? I don't know. Um, I think I can. I, I think I could have. Yes. <laughs> but but I think I can do anything. It it would have been a lot more difficult. I, I know what you're asking. And um Oh, it, it almost makes us lazy. It almost makes us complacent that it's like everybody else does the work for us. No, 20 years ago, you know, when I had friends who were, um, when, so 15, 20 years ago, I was a promoter for a company, for a couple of bands, uh, metal bands in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, okay? Their friends couldn't go 15 and 20 years ago online and go, here's my friend's music. Let me share it and you can listen to it. And well, here it is. You've heard it now come to the show. This is how much tickets are going to cost. We were out in the streets. We were walking deep Ellum until we had blisters on our feet in order to try to get people to come and listen to this music. And it was only going to be people in the community. You know what I mean? I have followers from all over the world who are seeing my content. And I have people who are driving from other states. We have people flying in, you know, from other states to come and see my shows. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 easy to have other people do that work for you. You know what I mean? In this equation, other people, those are your followers. 
Yes. And they're doing the work how? By sharing? Yes. By sharing with a friend, by posting a, a link, you know, sharing one of my posts, um, sharing my original memes or taking one of my memes that's only on Facebook and turning around and putting it on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. That's a whole other audience. Those are people I don't even know. Those are people who didn't follow me before and now they've had the exposure to that content and it, it piques their interest and then they go, oh, well, who is this? You know, I put my name on all my original content. Well, who is this? Now I have to go find her on all these other platforms and follow her. You you got your start when a friend of yours was somewhat established, asked you to open for him. Yes. Have you returned the favor? I, I did. I have a friend who, uh, he is actually my, my best friend of 25 years, her husband. And I've always just thought he was quick-witted and sort of brilliant just to converse with. He's very, very funny. And so I, I gave him a chance. He said, oh, you know, the first time I did the show, he said, God, I would love to do that. You know, I just, I don't have the balls. I don't know if I could get up there and do it like, like you're doing it. And I said, I didn't think I could either, but why don't you take a chance? And so the same chance that I was given um, when I headlined my first hometown show this past September, I, I brought him on and I let him do an opening set for me. Cool. What has been unexpected about your experience? Have you been noticed in public maybe or anything like that? Yes, locally. And that's not unexpected. And that's not surprising. Um, I don't live in a, in a huge town. And our area is very, um, very integrated with the arts. Um, it's the same, you know, kind of community of people who are supporting everything that's going on downtown, all the musicians, all the comedy shows, and all the local artists. So when I have been recognized outside of that, it has been really <laughs> sort of shocking and astounding. And, you know, I, I really enjoy that because I'm sort of narcissistic a, a little bit, a little bit. Is there anything that um, you feel like your success so far has afforded you that you didn't have before? Um, you know, everything from free drinks <laughs> at, at, at the bar. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'm going to get a little emotional here. So, yes, I've had some people um, um, shoot me a message or two and say, hey, you know, I haven't been very open about this on my social media. You don't know me personally, and I haven't really told anybody, but um, I have, you know, cancer, and I'm going through this treatment and this process, and I've had to have these multiple surgeries, and I just want you to know that before I go into surgery, every time I'm in the hospital, every time I, you know, I have in my earbuds and I'm, I'm sitting in this room with people I don't know, sick people, and I'm, I'm receiving my treatment, I'm looking at your, your comedy page. I'm, I'm going through your social media and I'm seeing what you've been posting, what you've been doing, and it lifts my spirits and it makes me laugh. And that means more to me than money or fame or free drinks or whatever. Can you talk a little bit maybe then about how you've been open and pretty candid sometimes with things on your comedy page where maybe normally in a, in a more commercial fashion would have been something that was sort of uh, behind the scenes, would have been private. Um, you've maybe not always kept it so private. Yeah, I, um, I would normally um, 
separate those things. So, so I have, you know, my personal social media accounts and those are for my, my close friends and family and people I know in real life. And then I have my comedy social media accounts and it, it doesn't have to be like a double life. I think it was at first just because I was trying to protect, you know, my great aunt. So I think they were separate in the beginning. And then I started receiving these messages from people and some were my cousins um, who I felt like I knew. But after this, I was like, what, 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 who are you? What is happening? And so I started receiving these messages from people saying, <clears throat> thank you for, t for talking about this thing you talked about on stage. I have always felt like it wasn't okay to talk about it. And it was so relatable thank you for talking about how, you know, it's not always so great to be a mom. Like sometimes it sucks and it's stressful and we want to throw our kids through a wall. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about depression. Let's talk about um, promiscuity after 30. Let's talk about sex after 30. Let's talk about our bodies. Let's talk about our post, post baby bodies. You know, let's talk about how kind of gross and ugly um, the, the, dirty underbelly of life as as a woman because of social media and that's that's the the double standard here and that's the uh, that's in the other hand here because of social media we feel like we can't talk about those things we feel like we have to put on an air that everything is perfect that our marriages are perfect and that our children are perfectly well behaved and that nothing ever goes wrong in our household and we don't have a stack of pink bills and our cars never break down and that is not true and i know it and and we all know it but we're afraid to talk about it and so that's something i will never stop doing that is absolutely imperative to me is to talk about these things that nobody else is talking about. So it's sort of your unique brand then that you're kind of breaking that fourth wall of social media then that you're able to connect with people who are in, in a place and in a way where they're usually very guarded. It's very usually a very one-way street and you've been able to open a conversation with them and share things in a private way but in a public forum. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, I've had people message me and say, thank you for empowering women. I want to be relatable for all people. And I've also had men, you know, message me and say, I watched your show and I've never really thought that a female comic was funny before you because I'm, I'm not just talking about my vagina. I'm talking about things that everybody's living every day. It's total. I want to be totally relatable across the board. You're from very small town, very small. What is what is life like for a comedian trying to break out, trying to, uh, you know, mainly make a name in the community to get shows, to get followers um, in small town Texas? Oh, man. Um, I feel like, you know, you're, you're only going to be as successful as the work you put in. It, it's difficult. There are people from my tiny hometown that I love so much. There are people who they're not going to get it. They're not going to see the big picture and they prefer to just stay out there, you know, and this 
tiny um, bubble away from the rest of the world, there's a there's something really beautiful about that. But it it isn't for me. And I know that that I have things that people need to hear. I have a voice that needs to be heard. And somebody before I started this told me something that made me want to do it. And he said that comedy can change the world. And I believe that's true. So you've been able to, you know, use social media and and use a connection to the world that you would have never had before to to reach an audience that perhaps if you had not had it, you would have you would have maybe never seen any sort of success at all, never had that that springboard um, because with your style of comedy in particular, you're not getting on the radio, right? You're not, um, you know, really kosher for more, most forms of of uh, broadcast. Mm-hmm. And I have um, said from day one that I have absolutely nothing to lose. I'm going to, um, I survived before this. I'm going to survive after it. I will never censor myself. I will never um, compromise my message. Anything I'm trying to say, I will never not be completely and brutally honest about my feelings about my beliefs or my stance on anything going on in the world, anything going on personally, anything going on on social media. Um, I, I will never. Are you worried at all that that has minimized your audience? Yes. In what ways? I used to be worried about that. I've had people walk out of a show before um, and said that they were, they were offended and I was, I was okay with that. Um, I've had people, of course, unfollow me. People, I, I thought that they were really on board with it. And it's okay. I said something or I did something or I put something out there that, that they weren't jobbing with. And that's fine. I would rather have a small audience of people um, who I'm, I'm reaching in the way I want to than people who are hanging on to the bandwagon, you know, that is Cody Wynn and they're not really being touched by it. They're not being affected by it and they're, they're not getting it. So was splitting your social media presence, uh, an act of privacy or an act of segregation for those two sets of people, maybe friends and family that were uh, perhaps too conservative for the comedy. Was it that or was it to segregate for, for privacy? Oh, it was both weird, you know, about um, strangers knowing, I guess, anything about my kids or where I live. That was really scary in the beginning. Um, it's not such a concern now. I think I was I was <laughs> too concerned about it at at first. And now I've realized it's it's not so scary out there. The world is full of really good, really supportive, really encouraging, great people who don't, don't they don't want to meddle and don't want to bully you and they don't want to hurt you. And it, it can be ugly out there, but I, I'm not as freaked out as I used to be. Yeah, yeah, I come from a conservative family. I 
live in the South. I'm from Texas, uh, like you said, a very, very small town. Yeah, g- guns and Jesus, man. That's what they're doing out there, you know? And, oh, geez, they they don't know about me. This this is a side of the, that they don't see at family reunions. You know what I mean? And, um, and I respect my family and I love them. And, and so they, they don't have to do that. I know they want me to be successful without them, you know, following my social media or whatever, my comedy stuff. They don't ever have to come to a single show. And I know that they want me to be successful, but you know, it's not for everybody. But it's who I am and it's what I want to say. So, yeah, in in segregating that wasn't segregating a group of people. It was just, it needed to happen. It, it, it needed, it, they needed to exist on two different planes for me. Are, are you on social media just to network or, or is, the, is there an end game with the social media too? Active as I am right now on social media with my comedy as an outlet. In between shows, in between appearances, in between these little guest spots that I do, I've, I've got to have a daily outlet. I got to talk about this stuff. I've, I've got to get it out. Like I said, my brain is always creating. I think in memes. I'm like, how can I make a meme out of it? Sure, sure. It ha- it's, a, it's a daily outlet for me. And it's almost like this social media. And yes, it has grown an audience for me. Um, people, like I said, we've got, you know, people coming from all over the country to see the shows. They would have never known about it if not for social media. Um, I would have <laughs> only had a local audience, but really it's just a way to get this out of my head until I can say it on stage. It's, I gotta get it out, you know? And that concludes our interview with Cody Wynn. You can find Cody at facebook.com slash Cody Wynn. And you can find all these links in the description. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please go to deconstructing.media for the RSS links and for more shows.